This is a podcast by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Australia. We are a community environmental education and capacity building organisation based in Toowoomba, South East Queensland, Australia. This is a podcast in the series Eco Social Work in Australia. It was produced for Hope Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Guyabal, Yugara and Waka Waka peoples. Hope pays respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nations people in this country and acknowledges the unique contribution that their cultures make to contemporary Australia. Hello, my name is Andrew Nicholson and I am the producer of the Eco-Social Work in Australia podcast series. The crucial importance of water as a resource to support the economic, social, cultural, recreational and environmental well-being of human society and the natural world cannot be overstated. This is particularly the case in Australia, the driest inhabited continent, whose water security challenges have further intensified in response to global heating and climate disruption trends. Nonetheless, as a key multifaceted resource, water has received far too little attention, even though it is directly linked to those trends. Within Australia, the rural agricultural sector has become something of a testbed for growing concerns over water security and fair allocation of this precious resource to a range of users. So what might be a potential role for eco-social work practice in this contested space of rural water access and the not always successful attempts to balance the social, economic and environmental justice needs of water users? My guest in this podcast episode, Dr Heather Downey from La Trobe University, is well qualified to offer some answers to this question. Amongst her many roles, Heather is Chief Investigator of Research within the Many Meanings of Water for Australian Rural River Communities Project and participates in the collaborative, multidisciplinary Murray-Darling Water and Environment Research Programme. As a regional academic, Heather is well positioned to examine relationships between people and the natural environment, and more specifically, in the economic, social, cultural, recreational and environmental meaning of water for all rural residents. Heather talks with me today about the potential of eco-social work approaches to regional community water, security, value and meaning. So, uh, welcome Heather, and it's a pleasure to talk with you today. Thanks for your interest, Andrew, and it's a pleasure to be here. And as I begin, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm on the lands of traditional owners, the Waveru, Dudaroa and Wiradjuri people by the Milawamurri River at Albury-Wodonga. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Well, look, let's start the interview, as with other guests, by you giving us a fuller self-introduction. Perhaps describe some milestones along your professional journey to date And in that process, can you give us some idea about how you developed your current interests in working in the Australian rural and regional sector, and particularly in the importance of water as a resource? Yeah, of course, Andrew. So um, for many years, I was a social worker in practice at Centrelink, and Centrelink social workers have a role in responding to natural disasters. So some of that work involved responding after the Black Saturday bushfires, But importantly, I was part of a small team in the Murray-Darling Basin during the millennium drought. And so during that that practice experience, I saw firsthand 
the myriad issues that were experienced by farmers and others residing in rural communities. So the, the grief, the financial hardship, relationship issues and concern about the future, as well as, you know, the environmental impacts such as dead trees and no feed and water for native animals and for farms. And um, drought was followed by really intense flooding in Eastern Australia in 2010. And at that time, I went over to Western Australia to be part of another small team of social workers in the pilot of drought reform measures in Western Australia. And again, I saw those issues and the farmers that I met were ageing. And so I, I became really fascinated by the experience of older farmers. So I started a PhD and that explored ageing Australian farming couples' retirement decision-making in the contemporary context. And so that was around two. 2012, 2013, and the PhD included analysing the implications of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan um, as this water policy reform was likely to impact farming practices and farming families. So five years after that, five, five years after the Murray-Darling Basin Plan was implemented, there were a series of allegations about large corporate irrigators in the Northern Basin and that they were misappropriating water. And so I worked with my colleague, Dr. Tim Clune from the Latrobe Business School, and we undertook a discourse analysis of the Murray-Darling Basin Authority's review of the Northern Basin and the plain English summary of the proposed basin amendments and the media reports and in print and online media in the week following that Four Corners uh, expose about alleged water stealing to see how the concept of entitlement to water was constructed. So, you know, we looked at, you know, how, who was entitled to it and the historic and contemporary factors informing those constructions. So that was really fascinating. And then from there, I've been, you know, become involved in a few research projects. And at the moment, I'm leading a, a project that explores the many meanings of water for the rural, for rural Australian river communities. And I do have a planned interdisciplinary collaboration with Professor Katie Holmes, who's the director for the Centre for the Inland at La Trobe. And that project seeks to understand how people living in the basin navigate environmental change. So, yeah, so my experience in some comes from practice and then uh, in academia. Well, I have a, a very rich and diversified, you know, experience, a research background on, around water issues. Um, and you, you know, you've been talking about water. Uh, it, it's obviously forms a background to a large extent of your uh, interest in social work generally. It's also becoming an increasing area of focus for Australian policy with attention directed to the myriad ways people engage with water as, and, you know, in terms of your interest as well, as you've pointed out, water as a resource has significant implications, obviously for rural sustainability and livability, as well as individual and community health and identity. And as I've been reading around some of the stuff you've been involved with, uh, I've, I've come increasingly to understand the strength of that. So it does follow that water issues might well have considerable significance to eco-social work practice. So in that context, let's come to our first main question on eco-social work, which is, for you, what can an eco-social work approach contribute to water challenges in rural and regional Australia in 2021 and, and beyond? Okay, that's a, that's a terrific question, Andrew, and uh, I'll try and answer it as best I can. So certainly I see green social work as bringing together social work concerns 
and understandings from the critical tradition and also First Nations knowledges. And I just want to be really clear that I'm um, drawing on Dominelli's, um, Lena Dominelli's conceptualisation of green social work. And that, of course, focuses on how responses to environmental crisis must both challenge and address poverty, structural inequalities, socioeconomic disparities, industrialisation processes, consumption patterns, diverse contexts, global interdependencies, and limited natural resources. So I think for me, Green social work has a role in shifting the dominant discourse on water as a commodity um, and as something that's really separate to people and enables us to, you know, envisage us, you know, in a more holistic way uh, with the natural environment. It also enables us to hear from people who traditionally have been excluded from talking about water. So what water means to them. So the pleasure, the recreational and cultural activities that water enables and how they link their use and enjoyment of water to the environment. I think uh, discussions about water continue to privilege agricultural needs. And in Australia, people who aren't farmers have been excluded from uh, contributing to that discourse. So my research seeks to raise awareness and interrupt the dominant discourse that positions water as a commodity. You know, linking uh, environmental and social justice. So there's lots of potential here in, you know, when we're studying water to explore the relationship between social and environmental justice. So. In the Murray-Darling Basin, um, the remit of the Murray-Darling Basin plan is to balance the needs of the environment, agriculture and rural communities. But the community's voices have been muted um, to date. However, I think recent environmental crises like the blue-green algae, a series of fish kills and rural towns in New South Wales running out of water highlighted that communities cared really deeply about these issues and that they were able to uh, unite and come together about these issues. So um, I think here was evidence that um, all people living in rural Australia recognised that inextricable link between river and community health and also identity and livability. Um, Concerning, I think, uh, you know, a critical policy and political advocacy role for social work around water, um, I'd just like to mention um, how indebted I am to the scholarship of researchers such as Steve Hemming and Daryl and Grant Rigney. And, and their writing um, enabled me to learn a great deal about potential for recognition of Indigenous rights. So rivers are key within Indigenous ways of knowing and being. And Indigenous people experience not only terra nullius, but also aqua nullius. So they've been denied access to traditional waterscapes and they currently own less than 0.1% of Murray-Darling Basin water entitlements. So there's potential to build on existing work. And when I say that, I'm talking about um, partnerships such as um, the Naranjeri's Nations uh, articulation and effective negotiations to embed their sovereign right to protect, use and enjoy water flow through their country. So that's the Coorong, the Lower Lakes and the Murray Mouth. And they've done that within a partnership developed with the South Australian government. So I think that there's a lot of potential to advance the recognition of Indigenous sovereignty through collaborative uh, partnerships around environmental water and water flows. 
and to move Indigenous relationships from being constructed, you know, as shadow waters, you know, ones that are hidden by dominant settler colonial and neoliberal water values. So um, I think, you know, the, it does, it, it has a lot of potential and I think that social work can, um, can contribute to that um, through um, policy and political advocacy. Um, regarding water too, I think that, you know, there's a lot of value in interdisciplinary collaboration. I've talked about some of the partnership work that I've been doing. And I think, um, you know, I sort of think about interdisciplinary collaboration um, in terms of it being a meeting point of diverse knowledges, you know, such as traditional owners' knowledge, uh, Western scientific disciplines of economics, ecology, hydrology, green social work knowledge, um, knowledge from historians and law academics and from agribusiness. And this is all a bit like a confluence of rivers. So rivers merging to construct new knowledge and they influence each other. And they can uh, also influence uh, contemporary water policy development. So um, I think, you know, the value of interdisciplinary collaboration in this space can't be underestimated. A research, uh, a re my, my research focuses um, on hearing and exploring the voice of rural Australian residents. And I think, as I said previously, community voices have been muted in water policy debates, formulation and implementation, and it's critical to bring them to the fore. So environmental projections, of course, for rural Australia, strongly suggest that the impacts of climate change will increase in both severity and frequency. And so riparian or river communities will need to navigate a future with less water. Uh, and this scenario has implications for their individual community and environmental health. So we do need localised approaches, I think, to learn about the diverse values that underpin relationships with water and how tensions between those can be managed. So rather than a, a top-down approach, we need bottom-up approaches that value communities' voices. So I think the inclusion of local people's voices in the policies that affect them and their places. Wow, have I, I tell you what, what, what a smorgasbord of ideas there. But, you know, just picking out a few there to, to re-emphasise, because you you really went through the card there of a number of uh, principles of key importance to, well, both social work mainstream and also eco-social work as a, sub, you know, as a subset of work and approaches within mainstream work. Um, just picking them out at random, in a sense, uh, not in any order, but interdisciplinary links, you know, that... Um, the absolute necessity of connecting with other disciplines, economics, hydrology, uh, other interests, agribusiness, the law, to give to give a sort of multifaceted focus onto what are often called the wicked problems of the environment, of the physical environment, the interconnecting, complex interconnecting issues of landscape, water, soils, you know, the works, uh, indigenous rights, um, indigenous knowledges, you know, also linking, as I think, to uh, other, you know, interdisciplinary uh, lenses onto that, the decolonization debate, um, but also in indigenous um, culture as a marginalized set of communities that we need to advocate for, be it in terms of water rights or other rights. That very key uh, interconnection between social and environmental justice. And then you sort of latched on to also a bit down the, um, the track looking at um, the need for preventative and adaptive strategies 
in the face of global heating. Of course, at the, at the actual global level, we've just had the rather disappointing or strategically valuable, depending on your viewpoint, COP26 uh, conference ending. But, you know, that just demonstrating, again, the winners and losers at a global level of global heating, mm. climate change, the states, the fossil fuel powered states versus, you know, the low lying um, nation states in the in the Pacific and other areas that have so much to lose. So the winners and losers, you covered a, a fantastic range of principles relevant to eco-social work practice there. Look, just to egg the cake i suppose in a sense can we now come to another question which really just continues on with you know what you've been talking about there but to drill down a little deeper into your into specific applications Uh, i know you've worked on several projects you've already mentioned several of them uh, and initiatives in this field around you know rural uh, water issues and eco-social work practice you've worked in around those in recent years can you just drill down and give us a, a, a bit more detail on the existing initiatives you mentioned or some more examples in terms of this question what are some specific policy advocacy or other approaches or insights which can be used in rural and regional eco-social work practice to help tackle social and environmental justice challenges linked to water? Mm. Thanks, thanks, Andrew. That's a great uh, question, and and I will. So I'll, I'll start off. I'll, I'll focus on the um, on the current uh, study that I'm leading, which is around the many meanings of water for. Australian river communities. And so firstly, we conducted a literature review exploring recreational, cultural and environmental meanings of water for Australian river communities. And there are a couple of really interesting findings there. Uh, I think firstly, um, articles did identify the restorative benefits of recreational activities near water for non-Indigenous people. Um, So things like um, the value of uh, or the meaning, the the relaxation that comes with being out and by rivers and listening to birds and uh, uh, the sound of running water, all of those things. But interestingly, in the literature, findings suggested that non-Indigenous people don't frame these meanings in spiritual or cultural terms. So there there was very little literature about cultural meanings of water for non-Indigenous people, and I think that that's that's down to the commodification and the practical use of of water and how that dominates our discourse. So there was very little literature that spoke to that, and the little that there was spoke to agrarianism as an important component of settler colonial identity. So there was a lot, um, there was a lot about Indigenous cultural and environmental relationships with water, but not so much about non-Indigenous people. So that really went to show that those issues haven't been problematised in the literature in the same way. But the implications from our review um, uh, of the literature really include that redressing long-term and ongoing marginalisation of Indigenous people won't be achieved until unless water policy reflects a real commitment to their self-determination and the formal recognition of Indigenous people as traditional owners, so leaders rather than stakeholders in, in any sort of water uh, management uh, arrangements. And I think increased water management partnerships might just further non-Indigenous understandings of the importance of cultural and environmental flows to everyone's well-being. So hopefully that might come about. Uh, And then after the literature review, we did a little uh, proof of concept study in Mildura 
And uh, of course, Mildura is up on the border of uh, New South Wales and uh, Victoria. And it's one of the, well, it's the driest and hottest uh, place in Victoria, often described as an oasis in the, de in the desert. And so we, um, we surveyed uh, Mildura residents and uh, they told us some really interesting things about the way they connect with the Murray River or the Millawa Murray River. And, uh, and also how they engage with, with water. So firstly, the river enabled recreational activities and, and they included physical activity, those sensory perceptions I mentioned earlier, and importantly, relationships with family, friends and pets. Um, in Mildura, blue and green spaces, so not just the river, but swimming pools and green spaces like parks and um, backyards, um, you know, and wilderness areas provided refuge from really intense temperatures and built environments and also technology. And they all enabled recreational activities, including individual and team sports and things like picnicking with the family and the friends. Um, most respondents recognised the Murray River as the source of their domestic water and they noted threats to river health, um, particularly the impacts of blue-green algae and upstream irrigation activities on themselves and aquatic wildlife. So people, there were expressions of generative concern, so they were concerned about future generations. So, and that demonstrated that respondents' consideration of river health you know, wasn't limited to, you know, the here and now. They were, they were really actively thinking about the future. And the, the study highlighted that community members recognise the agricultural sector's influence in water management. And in some cases, they voiced really strong opinions about the political emphasis on economic consequences and the impacts of agricultural use of water on individuals, their community and the environment, both now and in the future. So, um, you know, there were some interesting findings um, from that. So um, there was, uh, there were also strong feelings about um, what a Mildura community residents saw as general inaction on climate change. Um, so there was anger and grief and those findings are congruent with, with other studies um, that that show that people in general think that the Australian government isn't doing, you know, enough. Um, there were criticisms of the Australian government, um, you know, including an absence of leadership, negligence concerning irrigation water allocations and compliance and inertia towards water-saving uh, measures. And uh, also... People were concerned about irrigation farming, but particularly the production of water-intensive crops such as rice and cotton and associated land clearing. So people in this study could see the relative importance of environmental water to secure water's um, cultural and recreational meanings. And very topical, again, because of uh, stuff going on at the global stage, but down at the rural stage, the government disconnect with the urgency and relevance of appropriate solutions to the environmental problems we face, in this case, water, but across, you know, soils, climate, et cetera, et cetera. The very strong 
often uh, expressed through you know surveys um your research but also surveys across the country that have shown very strong community support for more appropriate solutions to engage with the urgency of uh, global heating climate change water issues you know 60 70 sometimes 80 percent of polls showing this strong community support so this is an issue uh, uh, amongst other things of um, a lack of democracy one could argue but that's uh, the topic of another podcast but i suppose staying with that that whole um discussion about the, the the reasons why we don't take more action just to play devil's advocate for a moment here and ask the so what question as i do to each guest as a way of further reinforcing the importance of the eco-social work turn within mainstream social work the question is why should the mainstream social work profession in australia be involved with eco-social work concerns related to water access climate disruption and other sustainability concerns in 2021 and beyond? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Andrew. I think that that's a a great question. And, um, you know, I I am involved in, you know, educating the next generation of of social workers. So, uh, and, um, you know, this is a, a moot point. So I think, you know, social work has always seen the person in environment. So really a, a, um, a green social work perspective extends this very fundamental idea of social work. So we do have a commitment to social justice and to economic justice and human rights. And I think, you know, I'd like to draw on Lena Dominelli's points again here. So we do need to attend to the power relations based on geopolitical social structures that have a deleterious impact upon the quality of life of poor and marginalised populations and the Earth's flora and fauna. So we do need to be advocating for action that could secure the changes necessary for enhancing the wellbeing of both human beings and the planet. So we see the impacts of climate change uh, here in, well, in Australia, but I think particularly in rural Australia, on the people we work with. So, you know, the marginalised people who lose their house in in the bushfire, or the flood, and they haven't been able to afford insurance. Um, And also, you know, the people who lose their their jobs because of, you know, these bushfires and floods. Um, But it's not only, you know, it's not only people, of course, that are impacted, um, you know, the loss of uh, wildlife, the loss of land, you know, the the recent 2019-2020 bushfires were were just... um, had such an impact on rural Australia. But, you know, we see the marginalised people who can't afford to install water-saving devices or, you know, we might know of the older person who's too afraid to go to the evacuation centre because the stretcher there might put their bad back out so they're at risk, you know, staying there. Um, You know, some people are terrified of losing their independence. And I think, you know, another example here is, you know, people living in social housing without any cooling. So having to sleep by the river at night because it's too hot, um, you know, and then being expected to function at school or work the next day. Um, That's, you know, these, these sorts of things are happening all the time. And, you know, we also work with Indigenous people every day and we need to recognise the link between environmental and Indigenous health at individual and community level and develop non-Indigenous people's understanding of their own links with the environment 
And, and all of these are human rights issues. So that's why social work needs to be involved. Um, you know, we are, you know, we, we do see examples of this all the time. And I think importantly, we are seeing Indigenous people advocate for themselves. So, you know, we, we saw um, that beautiful clip of the fellow from Tuvalu standing in the ocean, yeah, delivering his address um, around the impacts of changing climate on, on his nation. But there's also been re recent legal action by Torres Strait Islander people against the federal government for failing to protect them from the impacts of climate change, so those rising sea levels. So, um, you know, so, social work has a role there. Yeah, social work has a role, getting involved and advocating for, uh, for groups. And it's not only that these issues are affecting marginalised groups, they're affecting everyone, including ourselves. Well, actually, interestingly, uh, thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that clear and assertive justification, Heather. But just, just reading a little bit before we came on here today, you know, the western suburbs of Sydney, with poorly planned housing developments there, copying, you know, temperatures in excess of forty-five Celsius during the last few heat waves, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's coming home to roost in the urban areas as much as it's going to come and hit the rural sector as well. But um, Look, again, you making that really explicit connection between environmental and social justice. Um, the environmental impacts are disproportionately affecting at the, as, at the moment, although we're, we're probably all going to catch up eventually, uh, but at the moment it's hitting those already marginalised groups. So a nice, nice reassertion of that. Thank you very much. Now, as we move through this interview, and you having outlined the importance of eco-social work approaches around regional and rural water challenges, I want you to dream a little out loud. This is the part of the podcast interview where each guest has allowed, you know, some lateral thinking and some, some uh, creative uh, reverie. Because I'm interested in the concept of prefigurative change, of envisioning preferred futures which can emerge from existing initiatives, and the use of perhaps backcasting techniques to help us think about strategic steps that could transition us toward better social and environmental justice outcomes. So in that light, Heather, and incorporating your policy and advocacy interests as they relate to eco-social work practice, uh, can you give us some thoughts around this next question? What could or what should the short to midterm future, let's say two to 10 years into the future, hold for eco-social work interventions in the regions as a body of practice within the Australian social work mainstream? Fantastic question, and thank you very much for asking it. I, I will just start off and talk about, yeah, my role as an educator, I think, and, um, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of people in practice haven't had haven't had that sort of formal training or that academic you know the opportunities to engage in academic learning around green social work and i think at la trobe university where i am our new bachelor of social work with honors is embedded in a critical frame and so students are introduced to the concept of green social work in first year and then we have a new subject in our second year which is theories for social work and that develops this knowledge. So there's a real, you know, there's a, a focus on human rights and linking green social work to social and economic justice and to the UN sustainable, sustainable development goals. And uh, I would just like to draw attention. There's a fabulous um, article that I read that may be of interest to other educators uh, called Greening, oh, it's a chapter in a book actually by uh, Lena Dominelli. The chapter's called Greening Social Work Education in 
Aotearoa, New Zealand, and forgive my pr pronunciation. But I think, you know, importantly, this um, the education side of things does give um, students the opportunity to reflect on their on their own uh, links to the natural environment and to think about sustainability. And I think, you know, it does start with us uh, linking the local or the personal to the political or the local to the global. So um, on that note, I think really pleasing to see just recently the 26th Asia Pacific Regional Social Work Conference dedicate a stream to eco-social work. So social, I think social work does have a great role to play in addressing the climate emergency. And um, it, it was really pleasing to see the, the social work conference and dedicate a stream to green social work because it, it does need, the social work profession does need to reconfigure its conceptualization of eco-social work as niche. Um, I'd really like to see the focus of green social work um, move from disaster response, such as, you know, some of those things that I've been involved in, to raise to awareness raising, prevention and intervention. So giving people who've always been marginalised a voice and bringing people together. And I guess that's what my research is, is all about. So I think, you know, concerning water, no matter no matter people's ideology, I think all people care about their children and their children's future. And I think that that has a lot of potential if we can harness it. Um, I think, um, you know, in terms of practice too, you know, I do like some of the ideas for practice that were mooted by uh, Dr. Heather Boeto, who sees us as a collective of social workers and encourages to encourages encourages us to find like-minded colleagues and to partner with environmental organisations. And I would add partnering with local First Nations communities. So finding someone to facilitate an introduction to local elders, going out on country with them and learning about um, how they see water in the environment. So we have a lot, of a lot, a lot to learn. Uh, I think you know, social workers are great influencers. So we can use that influence within our agencies, our communities, uh, with our water providers, and of course, in our homes. Um, you know, uh, we, you know, we can, we can influence our families and our communities, I think. Um, you know, a few, there's a few other things I think that are important uh, if we're looking at uh, green social work and practice. Um, I think, you know, certainly um, incorporating the natural world, so blue and green spaces into practice, so referrals don't always have to be to a formal program. They can be to community gardens. And I think I'd like to see, um, I'd, I'd like to see social work design new programs that incorporate the natural environment. So, you know, use, use rivers and parks and other features for practice. So if it's safe, you know, of course, if occupational health and safety allow it, go for a walk with service users or meet parents and carers and their kids in the park. Um, nature does have a lot to offer. And there's some terrific nature-based work happening. So nature mindfulness, for example, <coughs> pardon me. So activities like the awe walk, you know, when you go for a walk and you're noticing and being grateful for the natural environment. So I think further implications for social work practice um, critically important for us to be aware of water issues. So we have been very active engaging with those involved in farming around these issues, 
yet my team's research is showing the importance of engaging with individuals and town communities, particularly First Nations people. And I think it's here that critical social work approaches can come to the fore. Uh, community development approaches too, I think, um, play a role uh, in the next, you know, two to 10 years. So findings from our studies have shown that water is a focal point for communities and it's a natural enabler of people coming together and harnessing that potential could be very helpful. And I think, you know, for example, if we're working in roles that offer potential for a community approach, we can facilitate opportunities that bring people together to discuss their concerns about water and what they might like to do about them. So, you know, thinking about what they need help with and what they think they'd like to do at a community and political level. So we do have the skills to help communities navigate the tensions between the diverse values that underpin community members' uh, conceptualisations of water and the ways that they relate. Um, I think, yeah, so certainly, you know, social workers, as I said before, use influence, they advocate all the time. So, you know, you might find or social workers might find that they can help a group or a community act and advocate for themselves about the particular ways that water issues are affecting their unique community. And I think, you know, certainly important to feed up water related issues through all channels, you know, whether that's various levels of, of government or through peak bodies. Um, and finally, I think that we should be advocating, advocating for more green social work positions in rural areas and possibly, possibly locality coordination roles to bring the social work community together um, on, and also to bring communities together. So seeking funding to explore social work in the context of climate change and specifically how we can raise awareness of issues and act to disrupt, prevent and mitigate those issues rather than being on the front line of natural disaster response. Yeah, that's what I'd like to see, Andrew. So thank you for letting me dream. Well, I tell you what, I have another marvellous comprehensive collection of ideas. I can almost envisage um, our listeners out there in cyberspace, you know, furiously jotting down these ideas in dot point form. At least I'm, I'm hoping that that's what they're going to do, because it's fantastic overview and, and collection of ideas. And it seems almost a cheek to ask you, given given how the extent of what you've just described, but to ask you to go perhaps a little bit further or just give you a bit of an extra opportunity to suggest some immediate steps that could be taken to help move us in the right direction. You've already outlined a whole load, but are there a couple that um, come to mind that are more immediate? Mm, I think, you know, I, I don't have too much to add, Andrew, but I think um, getting eco or green social work on all our agendas is important. So be they our team meetings, be they, be they our agency meetings or our network meetings, our local social work interest groups, uh, and in our research and with the Australian Association of Social Workers, really, uh, I think that, um, that that's what we can do. And I think, you know, as I said earlier, you know, I, I think it does start with our own awareness of these issues. So, you know, reflecting on our relationships with the natural world, you know, thinking about living more sustainably, more sustainably, and getting involved, I think, with uh, community activities around, um, you know, that focus on, on climate change, you know, be they school strike for climate, be they Extinction Rebellion, those kinds of, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, 
community um, community uh, functions or community you know, functions of the community that that are around protest. Yeah, and I, I think we've got a, a role to play there as well. Well, look, taken all together, I think you've provided a great eco-social vision there, some future opportunities uh, within the main Australian mainstream that can be taken up a num- quite a number, actually. And let's hope that we can all help make your vision and those of our other podcast series guests a reality over that time period to 10 years and beyond. Finally, Heather, we're coming to the end of this very rich interview. Uh, which has been based, in your case, around some of your great insights into the value of the rural and regional policy and advocacy space linked to water, but also linked to eco-social practice. So I now want to ask a summarising question, given the amount of detail you've covered, you know, just some take-home stuff. Do you have a short take-home message or one or two key ideas from our conversation today that could help sum up your interest in policy and advocacy contributions to eco-social work practice in Australia in 2021 and beyond? Yes, I do. Thanks very much, Andrew. And I think um, it's really important that we that we main we maintain our positivity and our our sense of hope. You know, social work is a it is based on hope. Uh, and it often seems that climate issues are too big and they can feel really overwhelming. So I think when that happens, it's important to come back to our, our own uh, personal experience and, and think about what we can do. And remember that there are a great many things, you know, happening uh, already. So I mentioned School Strike for Climate, Extinction Rebellion, there are land care groups, there are other environmental groups, and, of course, First Nations people who have been caring for this country for millennia. I think, too, um, there is great, pretent- great potential within environmental issues for real meaningful social justice to occur. So uh, I mentioned earlier, for example, those formal collaborations between Indigenous nat- nations and water managers uh, that are based on trust and local people coming together around environmental uh, water to water country Um, And the success of those partnerships depends on the processes within those partnerships, resources and Indigenous nations having their sovereign right to manage their traditional lands and water formally recognised. And I'd really, I'd like to see social work have a role there. Hmm. Have an inspiring closing comments. Regrettably, that marks the end of our interview. I just want to say the obvious that it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. And I'm sure you've given our audience some valuable ideas which could help inform their own thinking and practice, help them start further conversations and collaborations around the subject of eco-social work, which can help progress that intertwined social and environmental justice outcome situation we were discussing as it relates to the crucial topic of water use and, and, and other sustainability issues. We hope that listeners will talk about your ideas with their friends, colleagues, within employing organisations and in their professional associations. But for now, it just remains for me on behalf of Householders Options to Protect the Environment to thank you so much for your participation today. Thank you very much, Andrew. It was an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to a podcast episode in the series Eco-Social Work in Australia, produced for Householders Options to Protect the Environment. Please consult the episode text notes for possible references to topics discussed and relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.